Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Cast, uh, you are you are joining in on a conversation uh, between uh, myself, I'm Tony, and uh, and Russ. Say hello, Russ. <laughs> hello, Russ. Um, and uh, like a like a lot of episodes start, just me and you, you chatting pre-show, and you might think to yourself, "Oh, these dudes are comparing notes and." You know, man, they're getting ready for the Gospel of John, and you know they're into the latter end of chapter five, so they're probably comparing notes, making sure they're on the same page before they hit record. And um, no, we've been we've been talking about the Cypress Hill documentary on Showtime, and we've been talking about how um, wokeness ruins comedy. <laughs> That's what we've been talking yes. about, and uh, how yes. we appreciate people like uh, Chappelle uh, Burr. Um, there it's like, almost like comedy is like the last vestige of truth, you know, to be able to say the things that need to be, need to be said. And, um, so yeah, so that's what we were talking about before we hit uh, record here, bro. They're like the prophets of our day, man. Seriously. true. Like you, you'll hear these things that these guys are talking about. And, you know, amidst the moments where you might cringe, you find yourself really laughing because you're going they're a hundred percent right in what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Just no one's willing to say it, but them. Well, they're able to cut through all the noise to get to the heart of an issue while making you laugh yes. and rethink everything you believe. Yeah. Talk about, I mean, and they all hit these hot topics, man. Just all the hot topics that are going on right now. Like politics, you know, presidents, LGBTQ community right abortion women's sports and the discrepancy in pay i'm just i'm just saying like they it's like no holds barred all these real things that are going on in the world and all of the division among people and the unwillingness to really even come to a common table to even discuss Mm -hmm. these guys find ways to get to the heart of the issues and bring a levity to the conversation that really does make you start to rethink things while you're simultaneously laughing Cheers to comedy. Cheers to comedy. And And cheers to truth telling. And cheers to truth telling, even if it leads people to want to kill you, which leads us to the latter part of John chapter five. Yeah, you definitely have a very tense moment uh, that's happening here. This is one of the many occasions where the religious crowd is hearing what Jesus is saying and they're screaming with their fingers in their ears, Mm -hmm. running for their lives. Uh, plotting is murder. It's all, it's all underway. Just to, to dive in here. Cause we got a lot to get to, but just to remind everybody um, of kind of like the context in this, uh, this chunk of passages, we're going to be in John 15, 18 to 47. So we just got done discussing a miracle that Jesus did. Um, he healed a man who couldn't walk. And he was that way for a good portion of his life. I think 38 years, the text says 30 some years. Mm 
And um, he did so on the Sabbath, which kind of launched this whole religious investigation from the religious authorities at the time, because they saw this guy carrying his bed and walking down the street, which was to them a violation of all the interpretation of keep the Sabbath holy, which is part of the 10 commandments. Right. And then they had all these like rules around that to ensure that everyone wouldn't break this one here in particular. And um, so in their mind, he was violating the law and the guy was like, well, someone just healed me. And then they wanted to know immediately who it was that healed him. And so at first he didn't know, but then he runs into Jesus later on, finds out that it's him. And he goes back to him and says, the guy's name is, is Jesus. And now these guys want to talk to Jesus about this healing. So the conversation you're, we're about to have today, the portion of scripture is the aftermath dialogue of them finding out who it was that healed this man and violated the Sabbath law. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the investigations on man, the, the hunger for (laughs) how do I, how do I make this right? How do I fix the world around me? How do I keep everyone from falling prey to what this guy's saying? How do I justify myself in the midst of what he's saying so that everyone continues to look at us as the gatekeepers of what is true and right and good? And how do we maintain our position in this? How do we not fall prey to some religious you know, insurrection that's about to take place? Everything's about to fall apart. God's going to hold us accountable. Just so I'm clear, these are the thoughts that run through pastors' minds every Monday morning. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, it's pretty wild to me that I think I said this last episode. It's like, oh, so I can't pick up my bed and walk just after I was healed on the Sabbath, but you can launch a full-blown religious investigation that involves multiple people yeah. um, on the Sabbath. That's totally cool. Totally fine. Yeah, I mean, everything, everything in its right context. So, <laughs> but... Yeah, man, you you have a, a real scene that's going on here. And I think all that leads to Jesus starts to draw some lines in the sand. Okay. And right here. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just be honest. He's not just drawing lines in the sand. He's 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 drawing lines painted on concrete. And he moves so far past the line that they think should have been drawn that it's it's like a it's it dude it's like a dot you know in recent memory man and what i mean by that is he starts to really dive into who he is mm -hmm. why he's come and specifically why they have such an issue with what he's saying yeah well let me go ahead and and just read this passage here um just to just to set up the context so at the end of the last scene in verse 15 It says, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus' answer in response to them is, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So please understand what's happening. 
at first they're angry because they perceive Jesus to be violating the Sabbath by working, but then their anger moves to hearts that want to murder because he's referring to God as his own father, like in an exclusive way, not like in a way like, Hey, we're all children, right. Of God. He's right. our father kind of a thing, but like a very specific exclusive way. And then he tells them that God is at work during this period where you think no one should work. And not only that, I'm working alongside him. I'm working in a work that's in concert with the father's work. We're working in tandem together, making his work of equal importance. So when he, they, when he says he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Yeah. So that's what he's saying. You're, you're pinching me, dude. You're, you're throwing me up against the wall and questioning yeah. me, dude, right now, my father's at work and I'm working alongside of him. Mm. Makes me think about that scene in the movie Narnia. The reason why is I've got a five-year-old and we, uh, we just recently watched that movie together. And there's a scene towards the end where Aslan, the lion, right. Who represents Jesus and you know the white witch comes to him and, and she's questioning like what it is that he just committed to do in light of the broken offense against the law. And the white witch says in front of everyone, how do I know, you know what I mean? You'll keep your commandment, right? And he, you know, he lets out this roar. That's like, you know, in a sense, like know who I am, hmm. but Aslan in that scene, he says, don't question me about the deep magic of the law. I was there when it was written. I just, that scene, like for me, dude, that line is like, whoa, it's so easy to forget, yeah, right? C.S. Lewis, awesome. C.S. Lewis for the win. You know, don't question me about this law that you're all up in arms about and what's going on here. I'm the one who wrote it. Right. Well, and then later <laughs> on, he's going to have a killer line about right. the law in the scriptures. There's so yeah. many like takedowns for these dudes and, and just moments that if they would just humble themselves and embrace, mm. you know, um, there would be life to be, be yeah. found here because it's, it is, it's so silly when you think about it, it's like the, the Sabbath was made for man. God right. is at work upholding the universe by the word of his power. Hebrew yeah. says John starts off as this whole thing about like, not anything was made that was made apart from, you know, him who, who made it. And he's upholding, you know, all these things. There's that, that language there as well. So God's like constantly at work in yeah, the, he's... in the fullness, the fruition, the, 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 the masterpiece of his work is his son who he mm. sent to the world to reveal what he's really like, to reveal his heart. Yeah. Yeah, man. Keep going. Keep going with these verses. All right. So There's in verse love. 19, um, so they were, they're seeking to kill him because he's making himself equal with, with God. Um, and don't mix this up because if you talk to a Jehovah's witness, they'll say, well, the Bible says that Jesus was murdered on false, a false premise meaning they thought he was making himself equal with God and he wasn't. And I'm like, yeah. well, if he was, if he was killed for blasphemy, but actually was the son of God, that would also be a false premise. <laughs> too, <Yeah. so. laughs> yeah, by the way, if uh, he got killed for lying, 
that would but make he, him a sinner and his death would be no more valuable than anybody else's right <laughs> so, right exactly so <laughs> don't let those dudes uh you know with uh short sleeve button up shirts and bad ties coming to your coming to your door trip you up on this jesus is the son of god he is god in the flesh yes uh verse 19 so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing so he's doubling down on this relational working in tandem we're on the same page mm -hmm. my work is as as important as the father's for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. Get this. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. In greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Mm. The father is sharing his heart with the son. And in turn, the son is sharing the father's heart in his words and actions with the world. Right. He is showing us what God is like. That's what yeah. he's revealing. John 1 18. No one has seen the father, but except the one who is at the father's right hand, who is also God, he's come to make the father known. That's oh. what it, that's what John says in his prologue. Yeah. Yeah. Paul refers to it in Colossians 1.15 as the image of the invisible God, mm -hmm. right? As we've talked about in this podcast earlier on in John, you know, the word becomes flesh. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And this word, verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. If you're wondering what God is like, look no further than Jesus. He is what God is like. And Jesus is saying, if you think this work is awesome, well, greater works than these will he show him. And then he gives this allusion to the grandest and greatest work that's to come by referencing resurrection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that thing that's kind of standing in the way of our relationship? You know that thing that kind of keeps you from the dance you were made for? That that whole like breakdown of just the myth of independence and the nature of sin, self-reliance, the turning your back, right, on who God is and what he's like, the the falling short of the holiness that's needed to dwell with me. Yeah, you know that that whole that whole like thing called sin and death. Yeah, I'm gonna deal with that all at once. Yep. I'm going to bring death to death. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put an end to the very thing that's keeping you from what it was that you were made for. Yeah. Forever relationship with me. And then he shows him the heart. Like, why is he doing this? Like, yeah. why would he look at a guy and say, take up your pallet and walk? The son longs for everyone to pass from death to life. Yeah. The son longs that everyone might find life in trusting the father by virtue of trusting the words of the one whom the father sent. Yeah. He His goes, will great is that no one would perish. Right. And greater works than these, he will show him so that you may marvel. Yeah. Were the Pharisees marveling in this moment? Were oh, they no. celebrating? 
the miracle of a lame man 30 plus years taking up his pal and walking through the streets with a heart of joy were they marveling at that no they launched a full-blown religious investigation to find the person who was responsible so they can persecute and condemn him for breaking a law yeah, the last thing they're doing is marveling at the glory and wonder and workings of God to save the world. Yeah. Tony Campolo is a professor, Philadelphia believer in Jesus, very controversial man in the 90s, early 2000s with things that he was saying. Yeah. Not so much today. You know, he's an old man. Um, but I can remember, I don't know probably 20 years ago, man, when I remember hearing about him speaking at this conference and it was an evangelistic conference. Yeah. And he gets up on the stage and he lays out this number of how many people are dying today in the world, dying in the refusal of this gift of salvation that that Jesus has brought. And he looks at this crowd and he says, and what's sad is that none of you give a shit. And like, dude, you could hear a pin drop. Right. Right. In this theater. I mean, this is a, I mean, it's bad enough to say that word today. And like, 20, what is it? I don't even know what year it is. 2022, but you know, 20 plus years ago, that was like a major issue. Especially yeah. in, that's a major issue now, but he says this man and everyone, like people, people died. People fell over with heart attacks, <laughs> I'm just kidding. but it was, it was big. Confirmed too dead after someone <laughs> says shit from podium at the Christian award ceremony. Babylon, that's, a Babylon, that's a Babylon B post right there. <laughs> so he, he says this, but then the very next thing he says is, and what's even sadder than that is that most of you care more about the fact that I just said shit than about how many people will die today. Yeah. Separated from the very God who created them. And mm-hmm. I was, and to me, like that, anyways, that line, man, has never left my mind. And that, for whatever reason, it always comes like to the front of my mind when I start to see like the Pharisees reaction to these things. Mm-hmm. And it seems to show like, man, that, that spirit of religion, that love of control, man, it runs in our veins. Yeah. And it was no different 2000 years ago than it is today. Right. We, instead of marveling at the works of God, Instead of marveling at a guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years, walking down the street with his pallet under his arm. Right. We'd rather find some way to find fault in it. Yep. So that we can somehow just maintain this sense of control. And it's like, oh, yeah. And it's like, they're proving these Pharisees that a life focused on the law, which is not a, which is not a life of it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a pursuit of life. Jesus says in this passage that you pass from death to life by trusting in, in the father. Mm-hmm. And so they're proving what Paul says later on, that the law has a ministry of death because here's, here's a group of people who are so focused on the law that it doesn't even lead them to love and celebrate a neighbor. Mm. What good is it if you destroy your neighbor? on your way to honoring the law or your theology. Yeah. And the law can't get you there. All the law does is make you focus on the upholding of the law and keeping all its minuscule implications. 
Well, it does what you just said. All the law does is cause you to destroy your neighbor in your pursuit of trying to upkeep this law. Yeah. And it's like, yes, the law is good, but if there's not something at work at the heart level to make the, to make the law come alive in love, you know? Um, And I know we're jumping ahead, but anyways, um, it's just, it's good. Um, So 21 for as the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life to whom he will. The son has the same authority as the father. So here's your line obliteration moment that you mentioned right Mm -hmm. here. This next passage. This is like, okay, if you said, yo, just so you know, on the Sabbath, the father's at work right now too. And I'm at work right alongside him. Are, are, we're working together. Mm-hmm. He's my father, right? All that. Here's the line obliteration moment. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Oh, you think the father's going to judge in the end? I'm going to judge. Why? That all may honor me. Mm. That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who has sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but it's passed from death to life. Dude. Hey, dude, just so you know, not only does the father have a son and I'm him. Okay. And I've come to tell you about him. Um, Just so you know, in your hard heartedness towards me, in your pushing back on me, yeah, you're dishonoring the father because to honor the father is to honor the son. And it's really not even him who's going to be judging in the end. It's going to be me. Yeah. That's like line obliterated. Yeah, if there was any question, if Jesus was making it clear that he is God in the flesh who's come to save which is something we've already seen in John one, John two, three, four, right? Like, like I was saying earlier in the podcast, like he's, he's drawn, he's drawn a plain line and then blew past it mm-hmm. in regards to everything that they're thinking about who the Messiah is and who the Messiah is not and what he's come to do. Like, there it is. It's, 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 it's out. The cat is out of the bag. You're, you're talking right now with one who is one with the father who works in tandem to save all who would believe period. Yeah. I mean, even this last bit here, um, and this is going to be really important to grab onto, um, in verse 24, Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So it's almost like I remember grabbing as a, as a Calvinist, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like label myself a Calvinist anymore. I think there's still some things like in that system that I'm like, yeah, I still kind of grab onto and I see in the scriptures and and stuff like that. But it's like, well, the son gives life to whom he will. And it's almost like this. Mm-hmm. Like I was even reading Calvin's commentary on this in kind of prep. And he was like, look, here's like the doctrine of election. He gives life to whom he will. And yes, dude, amen. 
absolutely. Mm-hmm. But then he follows it up with like, all right, I give life to whom I will, meaning like he's referencing that miracle he just did. Yeah. Like I can just do this at will. I can give life. I can restore at any point in time to anyone I want. Yeah. And to focus on that and then to ignore this very broad language in 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Meaning, yo, you guys right now who are investigating me, you can Mm -hmm. literally hear these words and pass from death to life right now by trusting what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, he's made it known that the father wills that none would perish, but that all would be saved. He's made it known in John three, that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the the world, everyone in the world would be saved in and through me. Yeah. I did not come to condemn. I came to save. I'm not on a condemnation mission. I'm on a saving mission. Mm -hmm. This is what God is like. This is the one that you've been looking for. You keep missing me. And so I decided to just go ahead and come on down here and just, you know, just be face to face with you. And let's just go ahead and make this thing. Let's just make this clear. And I think we, we kind of blow by that. We miss that, that, you know, he's already alluded to it in verse 22. When you read that for the father judges, no one he's given over judgment to the son. Well, who's the son? He's the one that came into the world. Well, why did he come in the world? So that the world would believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and again, I didn't come into the world to condemn. I came to save. This is the one that judgment has been handed over to, Jesus says. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when you look at this, you start to see like throughout John lurks this image of a, like a rigged trial. Okay. A judge who was determined to save the world at all costs. All right. A judge who wills that none would perish, a judge who can save whomever he wills, Mm -hmm. which seems to be everybody. It's a guilty world, just to be clear. Okay. The the law stands and forever judges. And as we saw back in John three, you know, like we're condemned because of, of, of our just continual refusal to accept. Mm -hmm. We're not condemned because we didn't get it right. The law always condemns us. We're already judged by it. But the one who's now in charge of judging has made it known. I don't condemn you for what you've done. For what you've done's already condemned you. Mm -hmm. I came to save. The question is, will you see who I am and believe? Yeah. Or will you continue to live in the condemnation you already have? because of what you've done in your inability and unwillingness, I should say, to believe. Yep. There's a difference there, man. A vast difference. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is life in one person, the maker of humanity, the sustainer of humanity, the one in whom you live and breathe and move and find your being. And no way, by the way, regardless of your position on him. I look around my entire neighborhood, my city. There's a lot of people living, breathing, and moving in him. And they don't trust. Yeah. So he is this way towards them, regardless of their opinion about him. Yeah. Life is found in one place. And so in the end, it's do you want the son or no? Yeah. And if you don't, well, Well, that really tells you right there, 
what it is you have on your hands because there's only life found in one place. So if you want to hear the words that the son is saying and trust in that, and by virtue of that, trust the father as well, well, then you're going to pass from death to life. You're mm. going to find life in trusting in the father. And dude, if you don't want that, yep. you've just determined where you stand. You yeah. just determine what your story is. You're going to remain in death. You're not going to pass from death to life because you refuse the only place where life is found. Yep. And they like continually, continually do this. It's, it's, uh, it, it kind of made me like the whole scenario, man, of like what Jesus, I feel like is unpacking really made me think about a couple of parables that we unpacked early on in the large cast. The parable of the wheat and the weeds came to mind and the parable of the king's wedding, the king's son's wedding came to mind. And you kind of get this like picture of like Jesus in and amongst these people who've been studying the law and looking to Moses and right, trying to figure out like how to really obtain and maintain their sense of righteousness. Okay. So that God would not judge them, but instead would look favorably upon them. And they have this sort of like thing going on in them, man, where they just refuse to see Jesus for who he is. They refuse to see what he's saying, what he's declaring. And it seems a lot of it just sort of gets caught up in this idea of righteousness that they feel like they're achieving by works of the law mm -hmm. that won't allow them to embrace a God who seems to be showing up and, sh and, and saying that he is God in the flesh. He is this lonely dude, right? From a lowly place, a nobody place, who's hanging out with a riffraff, who's talking about the works of God, and yet somehow doing these miracles that none of us can do. Mm -hmm. And then when we refute it and find issue with it, because it doesn't fit within our law sort of paradigm, mm -hmm. we're not just rebuking him, we're like, we're, we're plotting his murder now. Mm. We, we, they just can't seem to come around this. And it seems to all hinge on this idea of righteousness and where it's found. Hmm. And you've got a God who's saying, righteousness is going to be found in me and what I do. I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. The law judges. I do not. And the judgment you think is still needed. Yeah. Well, he handed it all to me. The one who didn't come to condemn. Mm -hmm. the one who came to save. Mm -hmm. And anyways, I just found myself looking at that man. And, and it, it just sort of like, it kind of drew me into thinking about first, like I said, that parable of the wheat and the weeds, you've got the wheat and the weeds are growing. If you know that story, right. They're growing side by side. And, you know, the servants are coming to the master, like, man, we got to get rid of this. Tell us what to do. We'll just go ahead and pluck. You know what I'm saying? All the, all the weeds out of this. And he's like, nah, leave it be. Yeah. Let it grow. Let it all grow. Let it all grow together because you're just going to wind up plucking yourself right out of the field as you go around trying to pluck out what you think doesn't qualify, what's yeah. not righteous, what's mm -hmm. not worthy, what's mm -hmm. not good. Mm -hmm. And in the end, there is this judgment, right? And where the wheat and the weeds are separated, Jesus says. But it's not anything that any human has any participation in. Right. And check this out. It's also not something that the father does. In the end, what's separated is separated, Jesus says, by him. 
and the angels that he puts, okay, in, in a role of simply separating what he's chosen, what he's determined is righteous and what is evil. Mm -hmm. And the separation isn't like, doesn't come down to this, like, sort of, there's a law in place and there's a following it and there's a keeping it. And so therefore these people are righteous and these people aren't. No, man, the Bible's pretty plain. There is none righteous. No, not one. You know that, right? I know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just, you're not getting around this. Hebrews 10 goes on and tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away the sins of the world. It's impossible. In other words, for religion to make you righteous, to make you holy, right? To make you perfect. Because that is what's needed. AKA, there's no such thing as imperfect obedience. It doesn't exist. Right. No such thing as try your best. Right. It doesn't exist. So Jesus is saying to them, I'm God who's become flesh to dwell among you because there's a righteousness need. And it only comes through me, which is why I've chosen not to judge you according to your ability to keep some law. Right. And notice what he says, like he has to give it. Yeah. It's something he has to give. This thing that these guys are thinking they're finding in the law. It's not there. Yep. It's in the hands of a gift giver. And so they're trying to um, prop up and defend a thing that will never give life while hardening their heart constantly to the only one who can give them what they ultimately want and need. And he's trying to tell them this, yep. like he's trying to plead with them. He's explaining all these things. He's explaining his relationship to the father. He's, he's explaining how all of this is going down. He's trying to contend with them to invite them in, right? He who hears my words right? Uh, you know, he who trusts my words of him who sent me passes yep. from death to life. And they are just refusing life at every turn. And it's true. And the religion is blinding them. Yeah. And it's like, I get it, man. I get how hard it is to shift, you know, in, in your thinking, because it's so rooted, man. It's so ingrained in there. Which I think he goes on, you know, as you keep reading these verses, I think Jesus goes on and begins to shed light on why that is. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's just go ahead and, yeah. and read 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. Mm. So there's, there's going to be some language here in these next passages about some future things but he's referencing something that's very here and now as well. And so a lame man trusting in the words of the son to pick up your bed and walk. That's the dead hearing the voice of the son of God. Yep. That's the dead trusting. That's those who have not yet discovered life in him coming by virtue and way of trust now finding life that's what he means by from passing from death to life i was once ignorant and unawakened to who this son is i'm now hearing about this son right hearing about this life and grabbing hold of it by faith by yeah, everyone's sim broken. simple trust yeah. 
Everyone's broken. Everyone's flawed. For none are righteous, as I just said earlier in Romans. Um, the, I think what we see here is when he's referencing like the dead, he's, he's saying, yeah, everyone's dead in their trespasses and sins. The difference here is there are people who are broken who know they're broken, who are willing to admit their brokenness. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to a savior. They're looking for rescue, not reform. They know their best efforts at reform won't get it. They never have, they never will. So they're looking for rescue. And I think that's kind of what he's referencing here is like the, the dead he's referring to are the broken who know it mm-hmm. versus the dead who don't know it. <laughs> right. Yep. And he's, he's drawing a line between the two camps here. Keep going. Well, well, contrast a man who is lame 30 plus years in total desperation. Versus the religious police walking around, making sure everyone's doing what's right. Yeah. You're incentivized. If you're the religious leaders or like you're, you're starting with the assumption that we're the good guys mm-hmm. sent to make sure everybody else is doing what's right. All right, guys going to put a pause on it right there. This conversation uh, went an hour long and we were in the middle of it. We were like, man, we're, we're not going to like, we're just going to keep going and turn it into so a two-parter. Much. Yeah. So this is the end of the first discussion in the latter part of John chapter five. Come back next week for the second half of the discussion. Until next time. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers.